Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. By the sales IQ Are you ready? Let's get to it. I always say that revenue operations is responsible for aligning people, process, technology, and data across the customer journey. It's about building the infrastructure to support that end-to-end journey. And a big part of that is the data. Having the right data at the right time available to the right people. But with the explosion of technology, this has been increasingly difficult, really to unify data across all of the disparate systems. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators, for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash revengine. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Abhijit Vijay Varghia, the CEO and co-founder of Nectar, and I sit down and discuss best practices for connecting your systems, connecting your data, and driving better productivity and visibility across your revenue team. We're super excited to be here today with Abhijit Vijay Varghia. Is that, did I pronounce that right? You did. I'm that was bang practice. on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. The CEO and co-founder at Next, Nectar.ai. So Nectar is a revenue operations platform that helps to contextually unify your CRM data with full funnel activity and buying committee data, really empowering revenue teams to increase productivity and have better visibility across the entire revenue process. So welcome and thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to learn just more about your career and your journey. Thank you, Rosalind. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm quite excited as well to talk with you and we're very excited to to share more about my journey. That's awesome. Thank you. So, well, let's talk about that career journey, maybe prior to Nectar. So you spent nine years, I saw at Capillary Technologies, but in a number of different roles. Maybe can you share more about your background, your career journey kind of prior to becoming a founder? Yeah, definitely. So first of all, I'm an accidental sales guy before I like <laughs> started selling I, I actually did chemical engineering from IIT I initially worked in clean technology space before even like Tesla was a thing so I was a management trainee at a very large corporation back in India in Mumbai uh, this was a, play, a company called Larson and Tubro it's a multi-billion dollar conglomerate and I worked on a solution here in the hydrogen energy space so that was like kind of a formation of my entrepreneurial roots so I played a role of entrepreneur in residence there Worked, worked on that product from scratch. So learned something to build in a blue ocean uh, market, uh, something from scratch, something more forward looking. So a very amazing experience there. Then I got pulled into like B2B SaaS. So after spending three years at Lars and Tubro, I was like noticing uh, things moving very fast in the technology space. And that's when 
capillary which was actually started by one of my college senior uh, back at IIT they reached out to me uh, they were building their go to market team i knew nothing about go to market but they they wanted to have like uh, people they trust on board so they reached out to me uh, and i joined them in the go to market function uh, this was like a seed stage company so you're donning multiple hats doing various things and as you notice in my linkedin background as well like i have been into like various roles so done customer success then because i was the first account executive in the company after the founder so literally like transition from that founder led sales to building a, a predictable revenue engine through a through a sales team then became a sales manager hired the first few reps and trained and coached them to success I became a vice president of sales there then a managing director and board member as well So I went through like a different roles of scale in the organization as it grew to multi-million dollar ARR business and we had built a business across 18 different countries had like 50 member go to market team reporting to me and I started living through the problem myself like problem around disconnected data distributed teams like missing CRM information and then obviously productivity which was like top of the mind right so I literally started living through the problem and I lived through it for a very long time before I decided to solve that problem so that's been like the 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 founding journey of sorts that's awesome yeah i mean that perfectly kind of leads into the next question around you know a lot of times when i'm speaking to founders on the podcast or even just outside of the podcast you know they talk about how an idea for a business really started with a problem right there was some kind of problem that they were trying to solve so was this the case for you and your co-founder you know and if so you know what was that kind of original problem in more depth and then maybe what was the original vision for the company yeah absolutely so as i told you right i mean i was in like sales and for like almost 10 years i i, I basically mm-hmm. went at grassroots and like so sold like the bottom subway and like before i started setting up a team and a go to market engine and started selling right so but all the levels that like i was operating i was like trying to be more productive as an individual and trying to like drive productivity for my team but the fundamental trigger i mean for every founder there is like that tipping point or like that moment of leap right that you like to take i mean for me it was like firing sales people like i absolutely hated firing sales people but unfortunately i mean you have to be practical i mean it's part and parcel of the business and you have to meet quarters and you can't go like beyond two quarters uh, missing numbers right so i think there are phases where i think we'll like go back look at what went wrong how we can fix the next quarter how we can drive productivity up how we can get a better yield out of like go to market team and then how do you like uh, make it more scalable i mean how do you like draw leverage in the business as you scale your b2b saas because that definitely obviously impacts your growth as well as cross margins so in order for like doing that like one of the important things that i found was the reps that we were like laying off i mean it was not just their problem i mean there's also a problem around enablement there are problem around coaching system automation mm-hmm. and processes like what it takes a village to like close a deal it takes like the whole company to like support a team right so it just felt that there's a lot more the organization can do to support the sales people so it started like brewing in my mind that okay what can be done to like avoid like firing the sales people how can like reps meet their numbers and then i re- read this like article i think it came in forbes in 2019 and i think i heard you also talk about uh, in your linkedin post and i got a like, bunch of folks they talk about it in, in various forums a lot of sales reps miss their quota right i mean forbes quoted in 2019 in the article i'm referring to that 57% of the aes that year miss their numbers mm-hmm. right and i think on an average like for the last 5 years the average drop in like rep productivity is to the extent of 42% whereas like the spend on sales tools have has gone up 7x in the same period right so it's like amazing how how they are like completely not correlated 
So uh, I just went very deep into like solving this problem. So I then like was looking at initially that, okay, let's start something in the sales enablement space. So that was like my calling that, okay, we have to fix this problem around quota attainment. We need to democratize it. So that's what like was my calling that, okay, no more firing reps. Let's just solve this problem. Can, can we drive productivity up? So with that thought, I like went to my co-founder back then, like Arvind uh, RS. So he was like at Zendesk, he was doing quite well. He's also like from IIT, we know each other for 22 years. He's also like a student at IIM Ahmedabad. So he did his MBA as well. So he, he went, he studied more than me. And then, <laughs> uh, and he's also like more experienced for being an entrepreneur. So he's done two startups before, but then let, later okay. on, like he was like working at Zendesk. And I went to him like with this problem that, hey, dude, I, I want to like this big problem around productivity. And uh, what do you think is the cause, right? So we both brainstormed and we thought about like, and we went through this five why process. Like, okay, you keep going deeper into a question and ask like why five times. And on the fifth response, you'll know the root cause. So for us, that root cause came out to be data, right? I mean, in order to do anything, I need data to get the insight. Insight can drive action and action can drive outcome. Mm -hmm. So that was like a clear thing that came out. So that was very foundational to building Nectar. Arvind came on board and like Feb of 2020, we both decided to solve this like big revenue data problem and that's how Nectar was born. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's funny because I was going to say that, you know, you said the five whys till you got to data. I would have thought it'd probably be a lot sooner than that. It's always the data, right? Everything kind of starts and ends yeah. with the data. You know, when I think about that, you know, when I think about, you know, I think about revenue operations, right? We're always, we talk about, you know, I always preach about how we're, we're tasked with aligning people, process, tech, and data, right? Across this customer journey. It's all about building that infrastructure to support that end-to-end -end journey. And a big part of that is data, right? Having the right data at the right time, available to the right people. And I saw on the Nectar page that you talked about disconnected systems leading to disconnected data, leading to disconnected people. So, so, so incredibly true, right? The disconnected systems that then becomes dis disconnected data and then disconnected people. So what are your thoughts here on disconnected systems? Like, what do you see, you know, organizations really doing right? And, you know, obviously what are they doing wrong also when it comes to this? Yeah. I mean, very interesting. So I, I was surprised to see the number of tools that organizations use these days, right? I mean, especially <laughs> in B2B SaaS. <laughs> I mean, especially last three years, capital had been cheap. We had like a free flow of capital and obviously a lot of decisions got taken up, right? I mean, a lot of platforms was, were procured. There's this growth at all cost mindset, which basically mm -hmm. drove a huge surge and consumption of tools in the tech space. So consumption in terms of like spends, but not in terms of adoption. So the big reality that we we found, like when as founders, we started doing our own research and spoke to a lot of RevOps people, a lot of users. I mean, we realized that more than half the tools were not even getting used. They were taken up and they were like lying in the tech stack and leaving basically the RevOps team to deal with like the, the tool mess, right? An enablement team to like basically look at ado adoption of those and for a RevOps team to like look at where this data is going in, right? So when I talk about disconnected systems, it's about like, different silos being created. So the marketing team has gone ahead and bought like 10 different tools that they need. The SDR team has bought like five different tools that they, they want to use. Then your AE team is using like three different tools of their choice. There's obviously a CRM system, which, which is glad, glad that it's one system. And then like you got customer success team using like their own system. They might
might use CRM as well. They might be using a customer success software. There's a pre-sales team who, who don't have a system who would be like operating out of okay. like different tools. So we just realized that like the entire revenue cycle is, is scattered and siloed. They have their own tools which don't talk to each other. CRM is supposed to be the system of record, but it's it's not doing that job with no fault of its own, right? I mean, and CRM in itself has like a big adoption issue with its own core users, right? The sales reps. They don't give give data back to CRM. So this basically, I mean, threw a, a, a big problem to the RevOps people, right? So not just like a missing data or incomplete data, but also like disconnected systems, which are like just augmenting this problem, right? So that's that's what we saw wrong. And once you have like disconnected systems, that, that obviously leads to disconnected data and then disconnected teams. So it won't give you like the insights you need to like drive the outcomes, right? So. It actually also came out from our 5Y that was like talking about earlier. That's what we put it, decided to put it on our website as well. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I guess maybe along the same lines, like, do you have any advice or tips for, you know, to, you know, for other businesses maybe to get better at connecting the systems and data? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, actually. I, I followed you as well on LinkedIn and a lot of advice you also shared. Yeah. So, and I've spoken to a lot of other RevOps people. So what we are doing as a company at Nectar is not just like bringing technology to the market to solve it, but also like a solution, right? And like create this whole community around revenue operations, bringing in best practices. Recently, we, re- we released this uh, RevOps roadmap ebook as well, where we published like insights across uh, 16 different RevOps professionals, practitioners who shared their best practices on like 101 around how you create a RevOps roadmap. So things like those, right? So when, when you come at solving this problem around uh, disconnected data or disconnected systems, I think the first thing, and again, I think leaning on to one of the things that you shared, which I quite appreciate and on the same page is like mapping the customer life cycle, right? And uh, AKA the buyer journey. So, I mean, the first mm-hmm. and foremost thing we have seen some of the best uh, RevOps teams do is chart that down from a lead to cash cycle, right? Draw the entire sales process against from awareness to closure to expansion. And then like documenting the tech stack against this, right? In terms of what tools are you getting used or what do you have in your like tech stack? Used is a, is, is a second question, of course, but yeah. what, what tools you have against like the sales process at different stages and across your buying journey. Uh, and then basically audit it, right? I mean, audit is very important. And then it will give you like an understanding of where are, where is the process breaking? Where are the data gaps? Where are the like leakages with respect to productivity or revenue or, or, or data in general? And I think nine on 10 cases, we have typically seen like there's a lot of missing data to even answer some of these gaps, right? So that's where like something like Nectar comes in and we do a scan and like help them first get that data to understand the gaps and then use that to like obviously solve the problem, right? But yeah, I think uh, we would recommend to like go through a process like this, do a full audit and uh, then start by fixing one source. So once you, you fix one source, followed by one tool and one system at a time and then branch out from there. Yeah. So go go small to go big, go slow to go uh, to move fast later. I think that's the approach we advise because unfortunately, I think RevOps is an afterthought for most businesses, right? I mean, you and I are a big proponent of like having RevOps from day one, but I think a lot of organizations don't invest in it for a very long time, right? And then it's like too late. I mean, you got like a behemoth of data and like, clutter of tools and process mess to deal with. So it's something which cannot be solved, but it's obviously a, a long, a heavier lift at that point in time. Yeah, 100%. I totally, I completely wholeheartedly agree. Um, 
Yeah, especially that it really resonates, I think, with a lot of RevOps leaders mm-hmm. around the tech stack. I mean, just figuring out as a new leader coming into an organization, just trying to figure out what technology you actually have is quite a quite a feat also. You know, when we talk about data, you know, I mentioned earlier kind of, I, I always think about everything starts and ends with data, right? We all know that we need data. We want more data. We want better data. But the real question I always ask people is, what are you going to do with the data, right? How do you make the data actionable and then make decisions, all right, to really improve your business outcomes with that data? And one aspect of this is context, right? You have to have the right context around the data. And I know that Nectar helps with this contextual sorting. And I saw this as well about your business. So maybe can you share more about this? I mean, this is super interesting to me. You know, what does this mean to you? And then why do you see this as important? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll share like an anecdote from a conversation I have with one of the chief revenue officers of a Fortune 500 companies in North America. So mm-hmm. we were like, uh, I met him at one of the events and we we're talking about it and we're discussing about tech stack, revenue operations and like business growth. And obviously, I mean, for... Fortune 500 companies, predictability is as important as as growth. I mean, because the market punishes you if you're not like hitting your number, right? I mean, yes. it's out there on, in public. So you need to meet your number each quarter, every quarter, right? So one thing that he mentioned that stood out is like, he said that like for my business to run predictably, I need insights. I need insights every minute. And he said that I have got like hundreds of reports. I got like dozens of tools, hundreds, hundreds of reports, <laughs> but I have very few insights. So that thing stuck with me when he shared that. And uh, I mean, just took that as a, as, a, as a piece of information for us to work deeper as we started building Nectar. So you're right. I mean, there's no dearth of data out there, right? Quantity is not a problem. But the problem is, what do we do with that data, right? How can we generate those insights that can drive those outcomes that we all need across the go-to-market team? So that's where we started thinking deeper. So when we built our technology, we realized that we are going to deal with a lot of data. And especially in the last three to four years, and like more so after 2019, I mean, when we had COVID, the whole world like drew, went through a, an accelerated digital transformation, right? And the whole digital data workload increased. We are all like communicating a lot more digitally than we used to do like uh, just a couple of years back. And that's like generating even more data, right? So so how do, how do you handle all of this information? In fact, like systems like CRMs are not even designed to handle like this kind of a, more, a, a modern digital data workload. So that's where I think a lot of these integrations don't exist or they're like broken or they're superficial in nature and that results into the data leakage. And I think CRM is, if you look at something like Salesforce, right? It's fundamentally structured around four objects, lead, contacts, accounts, and opportunities. I mean, there are obviously much more to it, but the fundamental building blocks are like these core four objects. And you need like to sort your data neatly into these objects, right? You need to like be able to figure out the right activity that's happening across your buyer journey, across your sales cycle, across your revenue facing team. And that right activity against the right contact in your buying committee that needs to be there in your CRM at the right place. So that's like a a great example, very simple, but a fundamental example of like contextuality, right? And you'll be surprised to see like, and you've been like a RevOps leader all your life and you'd probably resonate, this will resonate with you. It's it's surprising to see what percent of the data is missing or it's mess in the CRM, right? I mean, we spoke to over 140 RevOps folks across the last two years and not even one said that, okay, my 
CRM is like pristine and I have like all the data rightfully stored in all the objects that I, I need them to. So that, that's where we, we started building this contextual sorting. And that's where the whole AI and machine learning models come in where you go through, through this all digital communication channels and systems and the data that you have from like not just now to future, but also historically the communications that have taken place right across your revenue facing team with their buyers. So our system goes and like analyzes all of these communications and contacts and the activities with these. And we are able to contextually sort them in the right lead account opportunity and the contact, right? So if we don't find an opportunity or even a lead, we show it as like a, 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 a suspect lead that you can probably look at it, right? Or if you have like, we have noticed a rep was moved on, but there are no contacts against the opportunity. Even in the past, we are able to bring all of those contacts that rep was speaking with, but they are not in CRM. So we fix the historical data with a very high degree of accuracy, as well as on an ongoing basis, uh, all of these like data sources are connected and all the data automatically flows into CRM. And all of this happens through like, API connections with like modern ML AI models with like no touch, no adoption needed with the users. And it just works like a clockwork, right? So the big belief there is like drive automation using AI and generate the insights that the business needs without like the reps or users to do the hard work that they need to give this data back and do that contextually. So that's where like the whole contextual sorting plays out. Got it. Yeah, you talked a lot about, you know, talked a little bit about AI and, you know, machine learning. And I think a lot of times, you know, sometimes people use the AI sort of almost like a buzzword. It's almost like RevOps, you know, a couple of years ago. It's like yeah. everyone's talking about it yeah. or digital transformation. Right? There's a lot of these kind of terms that mean a lot of things to different people. But I mean, I think it definitely be useful if it's used appropriately, right? So, you know, you talked a little bit about leveraging AI to kind of remove some of that human, you know, needs to go do manual work. You know, can you maybe talk a little bit more about that or maybe share, you know, what your perspective is on in terms of, you know, how should people be thinking about how to leverage AI, right, for revenue? Yeah. So AI, like from the outset has been like a mixed bag, right? I mean, it's definitely mm -hmm. like on the radar of not just like people, but businesses and governments and, and whatnot, right? I mean, everybody has like a keen interest on what AI can do, but they're also like cautious on like what it can do, right? Yeah. So I think an important thing to note is like AI, while it, it basically can scare people off by, let's say, replacing jobs, but there are different jobs that can get created. Right. I mean, in fact, AI yeah. will like give time back or like can potentially unlock time for people to become more strategic. Right. So just one example, when you look at go to market teams, right. I mean, there's so much of work that happens where like it's still manual or semi automated, which which can be actually that work can be replaced by AI, it can actually drive people to focus more on strategic aspects because they have that time available than just do like day-to-day -day mundane jobs, right? Now, if you look at uh, Gartner as well, I mean, I think just the other day, like probably last week, where I think Gartner published a report around how AI is going to change game for 2022 and beyond. And they, they mentioned one of the important use cases or like they call it as perfect job for AI is like CRM data entry. It just came out in their recent reports. I mean, so the role of AI, I mean, in a nutshell, should be to make the job of go-to-market team easier. Right. Whether it's like automating the workflows or like capturing the data, which is so painful to be captured or like surfacing insights out of like clutter of like systems and tools and like historical data and, and give that at the right time to the right people who need to like take those actions. Right. So that people can focus on like strategic aspects of their jobs in taking those core decisions, which can drive phenomenal outcomes 
rather than like firefighting or dealing with like tactical stuff. Right. So that's where I see yeah. like uh, AI playing a role in like driving go to market function up. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I think people that are you know afraid that they're going to be taking over their roles or taking yeah. over the parts that we don't want to do. Right. They're taking over the manual parts that we actually don't want to do yeah. so that we can go and use our brain and be more strategic and, you know, provide more value to the business. So exactly. I love that. Exactly. I mean, look at the seat belts, right? I mean, when they were like introduced in the US like <laughs> yeah. decades ago and like there's so much of resistance, right? I mean, people are also talking about like the freedom and like whatnot there's so much of opposition to that whole idea about like having seat belts and now now everybody acknowledges yeah. that it's a default right people know that like it just helps them to be safer when they're driving so i think it, it happens with anything new that comes in like there's obviously that that aspect yeah 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 love that so you know as i think about the revenue engine i think about this podcast i'm always hoping others will be able to really learn how to accelerate revenue growth and literally power the revenue engine so are there maybe a couple of things, maybe the top two or three things that you think, you know, all CEOs or maybe revenue leaders should really be thinking about today to really help accelerate revenue growth. Yeah. So let me probably answer it from a perspective of what we are dealing with, right? I think especially the last six mm-hmm. months or so, it's been like a yes. curveball, like that just got thrown at all of us. So if like COVID was not enough, I think we, we are dealing with a lot <laughs> of like different global issues, macro issues, and obviously it's it's had a big impact on business. Right. I mean, so I think the most successful companies in past or like the successful companies that are going to be in future, I think one thing is pretty common. There's like a relentless focus on productivity. And if you like, mm-hmm. if you would have heard about Google as well, uh, as well recently, I think uh, Sundar Pichai just talked about like focusing on productivity. Right. I mean, at organization at Google scale, I mean, they've got like piles of cash that they are sitting on. Right. I mean, they don't need to be worried about like productivity and nothing will happen for like a decade 15 years or so but they are thinking about productivity all the time right i mean that's why they stay competitive yeah. like apple thinks about productivity so all all the great businesses and organizations they are hyper focused on productivity so that's what this uh, crisis is like throwing at us right i mean going back to the basis looking at driving sustainable business building sustainable business looking at productivity at all cost as compared to growth at all cost right i mean so there's a mind, mindset shift that's required. That's that's number one. Number two is like uh, be very data driven. Like, I mean, if you're data driven, that drives transparency, that drives accountability mm-hmm. and that also drives better collab- collaboration. Right. So I think that's that's pretty important. And yeah, obviously, I mean, the first thing to do is like if you want to be data driven, you need to have the data, right? you need to have the right data. So like fix the data leakages that you'd have, which are contributing to like your productivity and revenue leakages. Right. And then, yeah, instead of like duct taping, or like basically <laughs> ignoring the leaks across your process. I mean, solve them structurally, right? I mean, it's so unfortunate, like during the, like this whole layoff period where like a lot of like jobs are getting slashed. I mean, I've been seeing people like laying off RevOps people. I mean, that's like the worst thing that you can do in this market, right? I mean, the first thing in fact you should do is like go hire a RevOps person if you don't have one, right? Or like empower mm-hmm. your RevOps team, right? I mean, they can actually come in very handy, right? I mean, like an AE goes probably like a quota for that particular AE, gets impacted but a revops person goes wrong or or a missing revops person like affects the entire team right so i think yeah. most importantly like invest in revops like they can come in and like solve some of these problems more structurally they can solve the upstream problem that's causing like this downstream issues that the business might be facing in the tough market right so that would be like the second thing right and then like obviously over communicate right i mean with your team with your customers with your investors with with all the stakeholders right and then obviously focus on sustainability right i mean ignore the quick wins that mm-hmm. that was used in past but like looking at more sustainable way of like running the business. 
Yeah. Yeah. All great advice. I love that. And especially the RevOps selfishly. I think that's so, so important. I always talk about how RevOps is like the secret weapon to organizations, but it's, it's even, it's not even so secret anymore. It's just people need to embrace it. Right. It's the the execution in there. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and you mentioned, right. It's a secret weapon. It's also like uh, the secret armor, I would say. Right. I mean, in times like these, I mean, a RevOps can come out to be like a great defense. It can actually throw you yeah. some amazing possibilities on like how you can like defend your business against a competition because go-to-market execution can create such a big difference. And that's where I think RevOps has this like amazing position of leverage, right? I mean, they have that vantage point from where they can like make a big organizational impact. So the sooner organizations learn it, they'll see the impact. And I think the some of the most productive organizations and high-performing organizations have one thing a thing in common. I mean, they've leveraged RevOps in a in a great way. Yeah, I love that. I love that. If there was maybe one piece of advice that you would give to maybe another founder, you know, that sort of that one thing that makes all the difference, like what would that be? Yeah, I think I'm a, a big learner. <laughs> I'm a lifelong learner. Yeah. So I love to learn from any moment, from anyone at, at any time. It's like a two-month-old baby or like a hundred-year-old person. So I strongly believe in learning. So I think one advice I would have like for everyone is just, especially for entrepreneurs, right? I mean, we go through a lot of learning and unlearning experience. So my advice would be to like keep learning and and be open to unlearn, unlearning as you go through your entrepreneurship journey. Yeah. That's great. That's a really good advice. Yeah. And I think for every role, including any yeah. role and anybody, yeah. right, we're constantly learning. Yeah. I always tell people that it's like I've been doing, I feel like I've been doing RevOps, you know, you said all my life, but yeah, pretty <laughs> much all my adult life. And, yeah. But at the same time, I'm always learning. Yeah. Right? And if we're not learning, we're not growing. That's so right. That's great. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for joining me. But as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always ask all my guests two things. <laughs> one, what is the one thing about you that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? And it could be the same thing. I found that some guests actually it's the same thing, the surprise and the, you know, want to know. Yeah, so... Let me think about it. Like, <laughs> um, last two years have been have been boring. I would say, COVID like really got us to a standstill. But yeah, but you've been building a company. Yeah, so that's been fun <laughs> that's and really exciting. Yeah, it's been fun and exciting. Yeah. That, but I really love traveling, right? So, so one thing which, from a surprise standpoint, I think a lot of people like really get surprised when I tell them this that I took 180 flights in 2019. So that was like literally. Oh my- Gosh. Yeah, that that was a record for me, a personal record. So I've been living out of the suitcase for like a very long time, being in sales, like I was managing a business across 20 countries. So I was like always on the on a, on a flight every time. So <laughs> I was taking a flight every second day and I've been to like 57 oh countries. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was like one thing which like a lot of people get surprised. And that's where like I, I, I even started looking at like Oh, I needed more insights. I needed more data to take decisions because I can't be like with my people all the time, right? I mean, I had like this like distributed team and scattered data. So I would say like in a way, like this whole Nectar experience was <laughs> brewing all through that experience, right? I mean, as, as I told you, telling you about like the solving the problem or living through the problem before solving it. One thing which like I would like everybody to know about is like, yeah, I mean, I like to run marathons. So oh. this year I've taken a goal to like run thousand kilometers and I oh, did not goodness. run a marathon last year because I mean, in fact, the last marathon I, I ran was in 2019. I think 2020 and 2021. Where well, the places I have stayed, I I mean, there's no marathon happening and a lot of like because of social distancing and COVID and yeah. all. Like I think some of these events are not ha- happening. And I did run a virtual half marathon actually over 
like i mean there's a running app i use and like there are like a running community so we actually all ran like oh, virtual wow. marathon from like oh, different fun. places that was amazing but i'm looking forward to like my my uh, first marathon this year so i'm running in the singapore marathon early december i'll also like oh, wow. uh, like have a cause so i'll probably put like put up a link for like the cause yeah. and yeah i'd love to like have people support the cause for which i'll be running i haven't picked up one yet but i'll be doing that soon and yeah with that oh, i'll also yeah. be completing 1000 kilometers yeah for this year wow that's amazing that's yeah. amazing not only flying everywhere but running <laughs> everywhere now too yeah. <laughs> that's great running is one thing you can do anywhere right so that that's what i picked up when i was doing all that travel i mean i could like just to like focus on fitness so that was the one thing i could do anywhere right i mean i could yeah. run yeah that's awesome well yeah. thank you so much for sharing that and thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast i just i love all of the just a lot of good information lots of good insights shared today so i really appreciate your time and just super grateful for your you sharing your story Yeah no thanks Rosalyn and thanks for being such a great host and having me here <laughs> really enjoyed speaking with you today thank you That's awesome thank you